0: Welcome to the Wilds Cast. In this episode, Rabbi Wild speaks with world renowned culinary expert Naomi Nachman. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Okay, we are live. Welcome to the Wilds Cast, to MGE's podcast. Uh, we are in the middle of another trifecta great Jewish women leaders, and we have a great Jewish woman leader with us, Naomi Nachman. Welcome, Naomi. Hi. Naomi, hello, hello. Thank you so much for being with us. Um,
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Those of you not familiar, Nomi uh, started her own kosher personal chef business, which is called the Aussie Gourmet. She's from Australia, if you couldn't tell. Uh, she gives cooking demonstrations, produces kosher chopped competitions throughout the country. And besides writing a monthly column for Mishpacha magazine, Naomi hosts her own cooking show on kosher.com, which is called Sunny Side Up. And she's got another weekly show called Table for Two with Naomi Nachman. She's been featured in cookbooks. Arts Girls published two of her cookbooks, Perfect for Pesach, Perfect Flavors. She's an amazing personality in the Jewish community, a pretty significant Instagram and social media following. Uh, Naomi, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Wow. Thank you so much for having me. You make me sound so nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the accent is also helpful and... um we have a lot of um, mutual friends, and you uh, you came highly recommended, so thank you for joining. Thank join. you. So, tell us a little bit your background and how you got into cooking.
1: Well, it's really it's it's a my background is completely different to my cooking. My training is uh, as a preschool teacher. I went to Touro College in Manhattan, um, and I got a degree in early childhood education and Judaic studies. And I taught informal Jewish education for many years. I worked at Yeshiva NTJ on the Lower East Side and at the Educational Alliance. And I was always just, the reason I got into cooking is I like to eat. Like I would invite a lot of people for my Shabbat meals. Living on the Lower East Side, my husband would go to shul and then just bring home all kinds of NYU students that would show up or students like in the area that were looking for a Friday night dinner, like he would go to shul and I never know who would bring home. So I always like cooked up a big storm of food and then cookbooks started coming out. Art School had this whole revolution with uh, Susie Fishbine, and I would read her books from cover to cover and then my cooking got better and then all these great kosher ingredients started popping up all over the place. So I got to cook and cook and cook and then eventually people used to say, you should sell your food. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be fun? Um, So I kind of transitioned out of teaching and doing more like cooking for people, a bit more Mm -hmm. personal chef stuff. And then, this whole Instagram kind of turned my life on its head by being a brain ambassador for many different food companies. So just oh. a big evolution. I'm always evolving.
0: And you see, I mean, you're just, even what you just shared is very peppered with your own connection to Torah and to Judaism. Tell us uh, how, how, as an observant Jew, um, I mean, do you find holiness or any other kind of religious value in your cooking? Or is it just more like you just like it?
1: All of that I think everything I do and I eat even like a bracha that you make right is so like for an Orthodox Jew you take you pick up a a, a a Danish I just came from a bakery or a piece of fruit it didn't just appear and it all comes back to a lot of things that I'm involved in with, with um, food insecurities and where food comes from and who grows the food and 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 fair trade in, in the food industry, right? All that comes back to Hashem and how he just connected all that up for us. And that I have something in front of me and I'm so grateful for the people that put That I mean, obviously Hashem grew the pineapple, but he gave the farmer the bracha of growing that fruit. And then someone, the bracha of parnasa who got to pick that fruit. And then I get to make the bracha on opening that and eating that fruit. Like all different things are involved in just eating something small. And Mm -hmm. Mm it all comes from Hashem.
0: It's beautiful. I mean, I've always said this, that, you know, we talk about being an observant Jew. It's really observing and being mindful of where these things are coming from. You know, yeah. it's not like reciting a little blessing over the knish that I was just eating for lunch here, so it you know it's a potato canish, so I made the blessing of Adama, okay I knew that the there's potatoes you know when I popped it in my mouth, I felt the potato tasted good, but the idea of recognizing the source of where something comes from I mean mindfulness can be is so important and related to being happy and joy in life to just you know. So, you know, tell us a little about um, your two books that were published by Art Scroll. It's funny because Art Scroll, you kind of think about publishing, you know, these very serious Torah books about, you know, biographies of these great rabbis or uh, the translation of the Talmud. I have one behind me right here. But here you've got Art Scroll publishing books on um, on, on your recipes. What What was that like?
1: I have just say, first of all, I'm so grateful to Rabbi May Zlodowicz, who was uh, the publisher at the time he was uh, the head of Art school until his uh, passing uh, about three or four years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and the reins have been handed on to uh, his son, Rabbi Gonzalez Zlodowicz. Just I'm so honoured to be part of the Art school family. Um, I, I know that I can pick up the phone and call Rabbi Zlodowicz any time and he'll take my call. He's just so amazing it's been really like such a blessing um it's it's so hard to describe when when this when my pesach book I got the call about my pesach book um it was right after sukkot uh, someone had made an introduction for me to art scroll miriam pascal who was my photographer had made an introduction and she said I wants to talk to you and do about pesach book i'm like oh, what i was like my dreams come true!" because I grew up in the Pesach industry. My dad ran a Pesach program in Australia for 28 years. He was the mm-hmm. first person to do a program. He's like the OG of Pesach programs, especially in Australia. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, he was always, and my mom did a lot of the baking on the program, even though she wasn't the caterer, she always helped out. You need a Yiddish your to make the gefilte fish, of and course. that is my mom, a real Yiddish your mama. And, and then I have my own Pesach catering business. So, all that came together, and I had all these great recipes. And our girl said, "Let's publish them." And I was like, "Whoa, really?" It was like I couldn't believe it. Even now, five years later, it's still a dream come true that I got here. Is a copy of my pay off cookbook. It's got really unique, really interesting ideas, and I'm just so grateful. Of beautiful pictures. I call. I don't know if the light is hitting it, um, but it's a dream come true. My every every um, little. Plug for the book here, but every every uh, every recipe has a beautiful picture. Just really unique things. Look at that. Do You think
0: that's made something? Wait, it's beautiful. Let me, and let me ask you. Yeah, no, I totally see it. We can't see it. 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 <laughs> no, it's really nicely done. Thank you. And, and tell us how you know our listeners, mostly twenties and thirties, finding their way um, into the Jewish community. MJ reaches out. More primarily outside of the orthodox world, what is it about cooking or Jewish cooking that can be somehow inspiring? To you know, that's such, that's such a great mm-hmm.
1: statement to make. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of you know, we're Jews because of our tradition, our masorah that has been brought us, been passed on from father to son, mother to daughter, generation to generation. But so is our food, and so much of our religion is all about food. Right, like yeah. Pesach with matzah and Purim with Hamatashan and Hanukkah with latkes. There's no holiday except Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av, but even that has got food involved before and after, right? Mm. You the eat breakfast, a heart, the, break yeah. fast, the pre-fast, mm-hmm. like even that, every single thing we make, even when we make Shabbat dinner, we just don't sit down to bread and wine. We make a prayer and a, a kiddush on the wine and then we go and we wash our hands and then we eat our food and then we bench even just making bread involves five and eating bread involves five separate maybe even more i think five or seven brachot i can't remember i counted that once mm-hmm. you've got to make the bread and you've got to make a fresh up chala on the bread and when you make dough you take a special portion off about the size of an egg called kazayit and you make a brach on that just to make the dough to elevate that dough, to have a connection with this day, 2022, and in our past, all the way to the Temple Mountain, when we would give a portion of our bread to the Kohan Kohanim that were working on, in the Temple. So it's connecting my bread today and the bread of the past, and we take that bread and we, you know, we make a prayer on the bread, and then we bake the bread and then we want to wash our, our hands to eat the bread and then we make hamotzi on the bread. And then we have the bench, which is like, I think three or four brachot. I'm yeah. um, just yeah. having a bread is, and challah is so meaningful and just elevates your whole meal and connection to, to God and, and everything we do.
0: You know, it's, uh, I'm really happy you shared that because, um, I'm sending a text to my staff to lower it because I'm, I'm filming it inside my office here. <laughs> and I hear all the craziness going on outside. We just came back from our ski retreat and we're following up with the whole group. It was amazing. Oh, I, I want to I, I stay on that point for a minute because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm like any other guy. I just want the food there. I'm not into like preparing the food or this. Like it's a whole world today. Foodies. I have a lot of students. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this. And you're the person. Everybody said, I got to go to know me. But from a purely purely spiritual, theological perspective, I've always said this, and maybe this can be helpful to you as well, God could have created us in so many different ways in such a way that we didn't need food. Hashem could have created us in a way that the body was self-sustaining. We didn't need to have food. Now, I think there are a lot of reasons from the Torah and from Jewish tradition why God makes us dependent on food. And one of those reasons is so that we can have a relationship with God and we can acknowledge God as the source of whatever blessing that we're about to partake of in life. And that's why just eating or just saying oh this tastes good I'll eat this as opposed to that as a right and and it's just sort of like missing the boat. It's such an opportunity to be connected spiritually through food. Judaism is a very I don't want to say physically based religion. It's all about spirituality but it's about using the physical to access spirituality. And there's no better area than food, and that's why you, yeah. in your capacity as a, as the uh, as the Aussie chef, Aussie gourmet, excuse me. Oh, that's uh, good. You have a tremendous opportunity. I, I want you to know also, Nomi, that we have a student, uh, a very dear friend, Jordan Stecker. I don't know if you ah, know him. <laughs> okay, I guess he, knew. he was in my office yesterday, and he says, "You know, you got to say hello to Nomi." I said, "How do you know Nomi?" And he's like. I was on, a, I think it was his birthright trip or some trip to Israel, and she blew me away. And I'm like, a food lady blew you away about her cooking? Really? I don't get it. So I, it's really unbelievable because you have the opportunity to inspire Jewish people uh, to become more connected to their Judaism because he attributes his reconnection to Judaism to your food presentations. That's <laughs> unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I don't know so much about food presentation, but like my husband and I were very lucky. Um, we were one of the last people to be uh, run a birthright trip before Corona. December, mm. January of 2020, when we came back from Israel. We were my husband and I were the majochim, the leaders, um, the American leaders. We teamed up with an incredible partners uh, in Israel. Um, and we did it for the OU Israel Free Spirit. And we had an amazing group of young adults, participants. Jordan was one of them uh, and we, we loved it. And we mm. had some, some of the participants had never had Shabbat before. And we really like just brought them into the circle and just, we loved it. We went into their circle and they came into our circle. It's just so much connection there.
0: It's, it's incredible. You know, you think about the first Jewish outreach couple Abraham and Sarah, and what they were doing to bring people in, you know? Yeah. They were cooking and inviting guests and hospitality. It hasn't changed in thousands of years. I've always said this, you know, my teacher, Rabbi Riskin, famously said that for the price of a chicken, you can save a Jew. And it's the greatest truism, because even with our great ski retreats and everything else we do here, and all the intellectual like to think we're sophisticated intellectually and we're impressing and inspiring people with the, you know, the, the brilliance of Torah... There's just something about a Shabbat meal and and sitting with a family that's just so powerful. It really just engages the total person.
1: Want to add to that that's okay. I'm like all over the place all the time. I do like a hundred different things, and I'm busy when I sit down to a meal. I just went out with my parents, so I haven't seen them in two years. They came in oh. for my nephew's wedding, and I'm we're basically eating our way through New York, right? They haven't had a <laughs> lot of not a oh. lot of kosher food options. They do have some in Sydney and they're all awesome. Shout out to my hometown. But um, we've been eating and we just came for an amazing meal, and and it's just so I've got the camera out, the phone out. Don't take a photo till I Instagram. Don't, don't eat till I've uh, videoed, taken a picture on Shabbat. When the minute I light candles and I cover my eyes and I open my eyes, magic, the world is transformed. It's Shabbat. The camera is forgotten about. Instagram is forgotten about. I can breathe. You know, we never allow phones at the dinner table any case. But um,
0: well, that's it's just why, like. Uh, it, it's getting easier and easier for me to sell, I hate to use the word sell, but in, I'm in the selling business a little, uh, to sell Shabbat because people are just, people want an excuse to turn the phone off. Let me ask you a question, I and not to get negative, but I'm curious your perspective on this because clearly, let's say within the Orthodox world, you have the, to- the phones being turned off on Shabbat. You have this beautiful experience, this tranquil, peaceful time where, you know, technology-free, but well, what about the food culture in the Orthodox world? A lot of my students who are not coming from, you know, more conservative reform or unaffiliated are coming in and they're coming to a kiddush. They're seeing the kind of food that is being served at, um, you know, Orthodox establishments and they're less than impressed. They're like, really? Look at all that oil Um
1: I don't know where they're going, but they can come to me anytime they want. <laughs> um I don't know. I, I find that there, there's there's herring's gonna have oil. That what makes it yummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Certain things that are gonna have oil, but but you know I do, I do not find that. I'm look I'm always, you know
0: Well I mean very maybe positive maybe person the way you, in any well,
1: case.
0: I mean I'm not really commenting commenting on your recipes or your cooking. No, I know that. I'm I'm, really speaking about, you know, I mean, you go and sometimes the more orthodox you get, the less healthy the spread seems to be. Very, you don't find that?
1: Like, I don't know. I I find that like during the week people will be much more healthy. I never eat challah and mayonnaise and gefilter fish during the week healthy during the week, but on Shabbat you want to have your crane and your challah and your mayo and your dips. You know, just make make sure that whatever you choose is a yummy one and a good one. And then you know, there's the peloton for afterwards.
0: There's the peloton for after. So you heard you you subscribe to the idea that you can't really gain weight on Shabbat.
1: That's what I like to think. I know it's completely not true. I'll work hard all week not to eat right. unhealthy things, and th- but come Shabbat.
0: I will tell you, I, I'm just, I'm uh, I'm not trying to be negative. I, you know, I just, I like on my podcast to kind of just point out certain truths that I see or certain realities. And I just think it's, it's one of the, you know, I just taught a class last night about smoking, about marijuana and about nicotine. And it's interesting because um, there is still smoking going on in certain parts of uh, the Orthodox community, despite the fact that most rabbis think it's, probably biblically prohibited. Uh, maybe once you're you're addicted to it already, maybe it doesn't have that you know but but to start engaging in an activity you know that on a regular basis that's unhealthy. So I don't know that's something that I'm always trying to explain to my students who point out that that um, not all the time, not all the time, but in some Orthodox settings and some schools, um, you know, it's it's less than of a healthy spread. How do we drive that with the Torah's command, Ushmartam it's not that you shall guard your soul. You're not permitted to intake anything that's really unhealthy. Um so you're saying a little on Shabbos, not so bad, as long as it's within moderation.
1: Everything in moderation, including moderation. <laughs> a friend of mine told me that once.
0: <laughs> Everything in moderation. Okay, well, I'll I'll switch to another. Thing because you, the way you, I'm
1: not condoning smoking though.
0: <laughs> no, no. I'm
1: just saying a little mayo and challah on Shabbos is not so bad.
0: <laughs> you not know, the funniest thing, Naomi, is I've been in I've been a Skowen residence in a lot of like, um, you know, upscale kind of modern Orthodox synagogues, and what's so interesting is that no matter how highfaluted or sophisticated the crowd, no matter how many figures these these people are making and what kind of cars they drive and the beautiful homes they live. Everybody loves extra mayonnaise in their egg salad on Shal What is the deal with the egg salad on Shell And they're waiting online. These like really? these people who could drop, I don't know how much money they got to get their egg salad. What's the deal? With that's the egg so salad?
1: funny. Yeah, I don't know. We're not such <laughs> egg salad people.
0: <laughs> it's just funny because like my I have a my son, one of my boys is 19, and he's like, no matter where we go for Shabbat, he's like, he smells it, he goes, There it is. You figure they wouldn't have it here, but there it is. that's hilarious Um, I am told that and I've seen on your Instagram page and you have a lot of followers, thank God you seem to be like one of the happiest genuinely optimistic upbeat kind of people Um, very, very excited maybe you can tell us how you stay so positive I know you're juggling a lot and now even more with your parents here you should enjoy the time with them is that something that comes easy to you? because you've got a family, you've got a business, you've got, you know, kids on families on both sides. What can you share in terms of staying positive and and while you've got to juggle a lot at the same time?
1: Okay, so I get that a lot, that I'm always happy. and, And if you actually watch the stories from the beginning of my day, I had a really long day yesterday, an amazing day. I ran a, a cooking chopped competition uh, all day. got up at 5.30 in the morning and got my way out to Paramus. I did it for the Yavna School for their uh, Yavna Academy in New Jersey. And I had to be early. I did, ran a whole bunch of rounds for them. It was fantastic. I was really tired. But I got up this morning. I appreciated how awesome an opportunity I had yesterday. The sun is shining. Yeah. I got to brunch with my parents. Look at my story from today. I don't know when whoever's going to watch this when, but I am on Instagram skipping. I'm like, you can see that I'm so happy, and that's really me. And I don't know if you can catch it from this. Got a lot of energy, a lot of good vibes going on. Yeah, but yeah. this is the way.
0: This way. I, so here's the thing. You know, my my uh, my wife's father, of blessed memory, Erwin grandfather, <clears throat> had that kind of disposition too. I don't think he worked hard on it. You Know he, I just, I hardly in all the years I was blessed to know him, I, I almost never saw him getting upset except in traffic. He couldn't handle traffic.
1: Ah, he, see, that speaks was, to me. Oh, I don't remember, yeah. we're related, he, um,
0: lost, he would lose in traffic, but he didn't have to work. You're saying you don't really work on it, it's like natural,
1: so it is natural. But there are some points, like I found, um, the heavy lockdown of early corona days, remember, between say knocked down right after Purim and Shavuos. You didn't move. I didn't leave my house for two months. And for me, that's like I'm a person who traveled the whole world. I found that really hard. And there were just some days that were really dark and hard. And I just.
0: What did you do? So let me ask you, what did you do? Because this will be a little more helpful because I think most of us, myself included, I'm not a naturally, I work on it. And I'm looking for, always looking for tips from people that don't, Seem to struggle with it as much. What did you do during those two months of lockdown to keep yourself positive?
1: Okay, so I had to keep myself very busy, right? Because that was my coping mechanism. So I I ended up doing, through the course of the first year of corona, 108 Zoom cooking classes. But in those heavy lockdown days, those first two, three months, Uh I would do multiple a day just to keep myself busy, keep my mind from being stressed. I had a daughter that was nine months pregnant in Israel. I, you know, right. I couldn't get to the, I couldn't get to her. Yeah. And I had another daughter living in Israel also. My parents in Australia, I felt trapped and locked in, but I had to look at the big picture and I lost my smell from Corona and I'm a chef. Yeah. So oh, that, that was, took a year for it to come back. Baruch Hashem, it's about 90% back. Um, but I just kind of like had to keep myself busy. I, we played a lot of board games in my family. We played this game called Ticket to Ride every day, many times a day, that kind of really kept me busy. Um, I cooked a lot for my family.
0: So so, so keeping busy, because it's funny, a lot of times people will feel, oh, I'm so stressed out, it must be because I'm doing too much. For you, keeping busy was a coping mechanism.
1: It was, it's still, when I have nothing to do for the day, I'm at a loss. Right. I'm, you give me 100 things to do, I'll do 99 of them. No you give me way, two no things me.
0: to do, I do none. no, me, I'll tell you, I saw this on Oprah many years ago. She brought in an expert on the the blue zones. That's parts of the world where people live the longest. And she brought in a guy who wrote his dissertation on what contributes to longevity. These oxygenarians that are living in these parts of the world where people are living to 100 and 600 and 700 I'm years old. Guess what one of the things they said that was common to all the people who live long, busy. busy, busy. And this idea of retirement where you're remaining more idle. And now you can do a lot of very exciting things when you retire, but just retiring and not, it's just, it's really not a good
1: yeah, thing. Yeah. My husband makes a joke. Oh, when am I going to retire? I'm like, you're not retiring. Yeah,
0: I it's, it's have
1: four daughters. Hello. Never retiring. <laughs> but, but. Right. We gotta just keep busy, keep doing things. But you know, I looked at the big picture and I said, "Okay, I'm healthy. I'll get my smell back." Your, my husband was healthy. My kids were healthy. My daughter was having a baby. blind, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I kind of like you gotta look at the big picture. Don't get stuck on the little details, again, like right in front of you. Like sometimes you need to like pull back, relax, yeah. and a lot. I think that walking. This is something my husband really encouraged me to do. Mm. We walked. You're allowed to get out and walk. Like in Israel, they weren't allowed more than yeah. a certain amount of feet from
0: the yeah. house. I, got, that I, was, I was telling my, you know, we're in Manhattan, and most of the MG participants, Manhattan Jewish Experience, are in the city. And I was telling people, get out of your little two-by-four apartments. It was depressing because people were working from home, and just you're cooped up all day, and it's small. You know, you're not, we're not in the burbs here where people have backyards. So yeah, walk. The, walk. Well, it's also in terms of exercise as well. Yeah. Um, that, that's really, really important. Can you, um, uh, do you have a, like a, a rebbe for food? Like a chef? Uh, more like so a, a, a I, I don't want to anymore? say I have a
1: particular rebbe. I have a chat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if I need something done. So I do have one one person who I would go to, like, if I needed something. But uh, Susie Gornish, who's actually mm-hmm. a bar chuvah herself within an incredible story. Um, She's culinary, trained at the Culinary Institute of America, um, cooked all over the world, been all over the world, had a child, um, and then found, she and her daughter found uh, Orthodoxy together and then she ended up marrying and having a baby well into her 40s with her husband who'd never been married. It was just, she's the most wonderful person and a very incredible Uh, talented chef. So if I need something like specific questions, I go to her. But I'm part of an incredible chat. And this is what I find so beautiful about Instagram, where you hear maybe like people are negative about it. But I belong to this group. It's, I would say about seven Instagrammers. Um, And we are all food bloggers of one sort or another, each with our own audiences, a lot of crossover. When I need something, I've got my gang. You know, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? One of our friends had a house fire, and she mm. was out of her house for two years. And she finally brought Hashem, moved into her house, and we all chipped in and bought her a gift. You right. know, like we're like really there for each other, and that if I I wouldn't call it a Rebbe, I'd call it a congregation.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's a community. You're part of a community. I mean, it's beautiful. It, it is beautiful, and it, it's you know to have a professional association with people like-minded, who are actually looking out for each other.
1: Yeah, it's very nice.
0: Oh, that's really, really beautiful. Tell us a little about your show, Sunny Side Up. Uh, any uh, memorable episodes? Anything you want to share about that?
1: I've had an incredible time. Um, my show started off when the Crochet.com uh, started about five years ago, uh, the grandchild mm-hmm. of uh, Morty Herzog from mm-hmm. Royal Wines and Keiko. Um, he, they wanted something that was big and out there, just People had recipes all over the place uh, from Mishpacha or from Ami, like recipe tear-outs slammed into a folder. He said, let's put it all in one place. So he worked with all these different groups to get all the recipes that were allowed to be put on digital media. And then he started making videos right away. And then I got this incredible platform. They asked me to to do cooking videos and I've loved it every minute of it. Few funny experiences. Um, I actually just did one with my mum. See, my mum oh. was here. My my mother is the ultimate, ultimate cook. Like she's the queen. My dad is also the king. They're very good cooks. So we were filming now when my mother was here, and I'm like, perfect timing. My mum makes incredible preplac from scratch. And oh. I think someone's knocking on my door, but too bad. <laughs> um, and we did a film. We filmed it, all air right before Purim of us making crep to Aww. inspire tradition. I'm, as much as I love pad thai from Thailand, I've traveled all over. A lot of my uh, travel recipes are in my book, Perfect Flavors, mm-hmm. um, traditional and travel recipes all together. But as much as I love pad thai from someplace, I really, really love gefilte fish, which my mum makes from scratch. I'm, lap made from scratch. So I love all that kind of stuff. So I'm um, doing a video with my mother. I've done, I did um, my... Where's your, mom's,
0: where's, where's your mom's family originally from? Where do they hell from?
1: Vilna and Bialystok. My grandparents oh. met oh. in a DP camp after the war.
0: Your grandparents met in a DP camp. And who was from Bialystok, if you don't mind me My asking.
1: grandfather, Atlas, was the last name. Are we, are we related?
0: No, we're not related, but my grandfather, Harry Wilds, of blessed memory, my father's father was from Bialystok. Oh, cool. Maybe we would make this. He came to the United States uh, in 1920 at the age of 20. He was born in 1900. He kept things very simple for us. But uh, so Vilna and Bialystar, I'm asking about it because like the food, the kreplach, like, you know, if you were a little more dark skin or (laughs) Sfardi, I would imagine if your family hailed from uh, from Iran or from um, from Tunisia, you know, you're what you would be cooking or putting in your, in your kosher cookbook would be a little different, no? Or right, right. So,
1: is- so I do have a variety of recipes, Middle Eastern recipes uh, okay. in my book, but I'm definitely um, you know, Ashkenazi all the way up. Um, my dad's side also is Ashkenazi. His family's from Sfat in Israel. Um, mm-hmm.
0: And do you have, um, oh, your, fa- your husband's fa- family is from Sfat in Israel.
1: My father's, my father.
0: Your father, my, husband,
1: okay. my husband's family is even cooler than our family. He's a Romaniot. Do you know what a Romaniot Jew is?
0: Yeah, yeah from Rome.
1: Yeah, So so they're Romaniot Jews, which are from Yanina in Greece.
0: But let me ask you a question. Can you be objective here about Svartic versus Ashkenazic fruits? Because some of my Svartic friends make these claims that we have no flavor in our cooking compared to our Svartic brothers and sisters.
1: Mm. I use, mm. uh,
0: you know, so I, think, yeah.
1: I, I, I will say I love Svartic cooking. I'm just saying. I'm, I don't love spicy, like burn your mouth off hot. Like I don't like that. But I love I love, um, gourmet sabsi, which is Iranian, um, tadig, um, malawakh, mm-hmm. uh, uh Moroccan food is the bomb. Like I love Moroccan food. So right. much flavor. It's like a party in your mouth. Ashkenazi, <laughs> salt, pepper and sugar, paprika and garlic powder, yeah. also sugar, lemon juice. It's all delicious and good. As long as you make it right. Right, right. It's all good by me, you
0: know? It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. I'm a very easygoing eater. You know, it would be great to do you do these chop chop like competitions. I used to watch that with my daughter. Um, I love that show. What what would you ever do like have you ever done like a like a a competition between like Sfarty Ashkenazi kind of thing? You no, know, like, like a hardcore Ashkenazi, give, you know?
1: we we'll give a whole bunch of uh, Persian Jews some gefilte fish in their chop basket. Let's see what they could do with it.
0: That, how funny would that be if you stuck <laughs> a bunch of Sephardi Jews and they were stuck with the, uh, with gefilte fish? They would hate it! <laughs> let's
1: do it, let's do it. Anyone here that's uh, from a Sephardi background that would want to compete in the chop competition, right. Rabbi Mark Wilds, you're the judge. <laughs>
0: I would love, I mean this sincerely, if you, it it would, I would love to do, I mean, I shouldn't invite you public, well, invite you publicly, but it would be such an honor. Seriously, at a, we have a lot of, you know, twenties and thirties. We're doing we just came back. We had 55 people on our ski retreat. We're doing a dinner this Friday night on the East side with a hundred people. We have about 70, 80 people at our Minion every Shabbat Anytime
1: you want me to come to anything, I'm there for you.
0: All right. It would be an honor. Seriously. Because. I just think the food is such a way of being connected to Hashem through Jewish tradition. And you're such a positive light when it comes to all the aspects of food that relate to our spirituality. Um, And, uh, you know, you should just continue to cook away and teach away, you know, and enjoy the amazing time that you have with your mom right now. Um, are, Are you guys doing cooking together?
1: Yep, yeah, we're actually cooking dinner tonight together. I'm Actually, she doesn't know this yet. You're hearing it here first. We're going to Gormeglap. That's my local supermarket here in yeah. the five towns. We're, I'm going to get some fish. I, I want to get her to make gefilte fish from scratch.
0: Ooh, ooh. Yeah. So, you know, I have to give you a little admission. When I was a kid, I thought the gefilte fish was a Jewish fish. It was the only Jewish fish in the whole ocean. And the little carrots that you see <laughs> in the gefilte fish, I thought they were the yarmulkes. Yeah. And that, Gel. I, I really thought, like, somebody told me it's carp. I'm like, what do you mean? It's gefilte. <laughs> There's like a real fish called gefilte. You know there. what gefilte
1: means? Gefilte no. means stuffed. Gefilte means stuffed.
0: Oh, okay. Because
1: they used to take a fish apart because you can't separate bones on Shabbos, right, because of, uh-huh. of bore, right? You can explain more.
0: Well, so, so, no, explain. Explain to our listeners, please.
1: So on Shabbat, you don't um, sort and separate Mm -hmm. I know we sound so crazy when we try to explain it, but it's one of the 49 laws that we don't do on 39. Sorry, 39, 39. 39, 39, I know, I know, I finished school a long time ago. 39, uh, Malachot, they're called um, things that you don't do on Shabbat. And it all goes back to the times of serving in the uh, Temple Mount. Am I doing good?
0: Mishkan, the Mishkan, which is. These, these partial that we're reading now in the Torah. Exactly,
1: yeah. right, perfect. So we don't sort. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you if you have a tomato and a cucumber salad, you can't separate out the tomatoes from the cucumbers, right? So we yeah. can't separate out bones from flesh on Shabbat. So what they would do is they would make a hot gefilte fish, they would rip out the, the bones before Shabbat and the, the flesh. They would mm-hmm. separate out the bones. They'd cook up the flesh and then stuff it back into the skin and then bake it so it looked like a whole fish stuffed with gefilte fish mixture. Wow. But then we got a little bit, you know, more lazy. I, mean, more I honestly, times I changed.
0: I did not know. So, so gefilte fish became a delicacy on Shabbat to avoid violating one of the thirty-nine acts of work. you see, that's amazing.
1: I taught the rabbi
0: something. Um, you did teach me something. I'm going to teach you. Wait, are you you? Look, teach me oh, something, please. Look now, a day this without is interesting, learning is
1: not a good day.
0: What the, um, the Svardim called Chamin, or what, the, or what the Ashkenazim, what we call Cholins, also came about because of halachic uh, considerations. Very, very interesting. There was a group of Jews called the Karaites, and they were considered a bit of a fringe group that rejected the oral tradition. They read the Torah literally, like fundamentalists. Okay, so for example... They said, lo sevaru esh the Torah says, you're not permitted to kindle a flame in your home. Now, we know through the oral tradition that when the Torah says you can't kindle a flame, that means you can't kindle a flame when? On Shabbat. But you, if you set the light up from before Shabbat, of course you can have light in your home on Shabbat. In fact, that's one of the mitzvot of candle lighting is that we're supposed to be, we're supposed to really be creating light in our homes on Shabbat. Because the Karaites read the Torah literally, it says you shall not have light in your home. Okay, so if you read it literally, that means you have to sit in the dark. So the Karaites sat in the dark on Shabbat, okay? They also did not eat food that was hot on Shabbat because of this reason. And therefore, the what's called the Perushim, the Pharisees, which really represented the rabbis, what the rabbis wanted to be able to do was to demonstrate that you can eat hot food on Shabbat and that you need to use the oral Torah to interpret the written law. And therefore, they started developing a stew, a beef stew that would stay hot on Shabbos and that would be cooked from before Shabbat would be able to stay hot and slowly continue to be heated up on Shabbat, although the majority was cooked from before Shabbat. That's how chulant developed. The reason we eat chulant was a way of sort of silencing the Karaites, the Karaites who were saying, "Oh, we're just going to read the Torah literally." No, you can't read the Torah. By the way, you know what happens if you read the Torah literally? Then you have an eye for an eye. Okay? No! We don't we don't read that literally. That we we know that means the market value of an eye. So food was another way. What we eat, like you just said, gefilte fish, and what I'm saying now in terms of cholent. These were ways of demonstrating to the Jewish community of how to observe the Sabbath. Yeah just thought you'd find that interesting. I love
1: okay. that. I <laughs> of um, everyone listening. That was great.
0: Okay. One last, last question, just uh, yep. on a very light note. Tell me um, best thing to serve on Shabbat or the holidays. Uh, what's a good, it could be something a little different that you can tell our listeners. They want to change it up a little. And that's not something that's too difficult to make. <laughs> Wait, 125
1: recipes in here. <laughs> and you've got 125 recipes in here. And even though this says Pesach, you can use this all year because it's basically a gluten-free cookbook. So I've got incredible recipes in there. But it's wintertime now. I'm going to just uh, make recommendations from my cookbook a, a, and, and tie it into what you just said about Cholen. Um I make a flanken onion miso soup that you can put up Friday afternoon and eat it for Shabbat lunch. Ooh. It is delicious. It will oh, change yeah. your
0: world. Yeah flanken, onion, miso, miso, soup. And yeah. and how is it? And you can have it for lunch on Shabbat because we usually don't have soup for yeah. lunch. Because yeah,
1: you can, because you put up Friday afternoon. It's page 90 of my cookbook, crockpot Onion Flanken Soup.
0: Okay, and I suppose show. the only way that they're going to learn how to do this is by buying the cookbook.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But I can share a recipe with you. This
0: is why you have 40,000 followers on Instagram.
1: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> this is what it looks like.
0: Oh, that looks delicious, actually. Yeah. And
1: it's so cold outside. Shabbat lunch is so nice to have supper.
0: Right, right. Totally. Wow. Well, you should know, in the middle of COVID, we were davening um, upstairs, and we were looking for very hot dishes. We were serving whiskey and basically cholent, because it was so cold, we didn't want to eat inside. We davened inside with a mask six feet apart, but then we went up to the roof um, to have a um, For the in the and the hot. So so basically um, onion miso, flanken onion miso soup, which can be then eaten also not only for Friday night dinner, but for, for lunch on Shabbat. Excellent. Naomi, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much you for so having sharing me. Sharing your positivity, your great vibes and energy, your love for cooking and your love for Torah and Judaism. It comes right through the food. Thank um, you. God bless you. You should have continued nachas from your children, your grandchildren, your parents. Enjoy them. Thank you Thank so much you. for giving us your and, time.
1: And when you get a bracha, you give a bracha. Same to you and your family and everyone's families here.
0: Amen. Thank you so much. Thank All right.
1: You. Take care. Thank and you. look
0: forward to hosting you in New York. Leenado, I'm like coming. To
1: Just tell me when I'm there.
0: Okay. That would be awesome. All right. Okay. Bye, Bye,
1: everyone. Thanks.
0: You take care. Thank you. Okay. We good? we hope you enjoyed this episode of the wilds cast subscribe to our show on spotify apple podcasts google play or your favorite podcast app if you haven't already please leave us a review in the apple podcast store it only takes a minute and when you do it it helps others discover the show music from today's episode comes courtesy of yosef wilds For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, please visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us.